0: Hey, good morning to all of you. I wanna say uh, just right off the bat, let me say, I'm gonna get to you guys in a minute that are in here, but let me say a special hello to all you that are watching online. Um, Be safe. I've had many that contacted me this week and said, man, we just wanna be their pastor. And they felt like it was a little unsafe for them because they're more vulnerable and stay at home and you just join us right here. Uh, you are in the presence today of the Holy Spirit. And then you're in the presence today of some wonderful, wonderful folk here today. And so we're glad that all of you are here. I wanna do a special shout out this morning cause I've been told I've never given her a shout out. And it is my beautiful niece in Illinois. Her name is Crystal. Crystal, there you go. All right. Um, also, uh, Alan, my retired pastor friend, watches us uh, every week and just wanted to say hello to all of you that are watching today. Um, we, we have uh, been looking at, and we're looking at, started last week, this series on faithful, living in a world of fear, because we are today, oh my goodness, uh, more than ever, we live in a world of people that are just filled with fear. You can watch the news if you want to. I choose not to cuz it's too depressing. But you get on social media and you watch things that people post and the fears that they have and all of this stuff and it overwhelms our minds and fear can call up cause us fear can cause us to fall backwards. Fear can cause us to retreat. Fear can cause us to give up. Fear can cause us to shrink in our faith. And what I wanna do is we're in this series, Faithful, Living in a World of Fear. And I wanna talk to us today, those of us who are striving to be faithful to him, I wanna talk to us about about spiritual drift. If I were to ask you what is the relationship between Harvard, Princeton, and Yale, What would you say? Well, you'd probably say all three of these are Ivy League schools, and you would be correct, they are. But the real relationship between these three schools is that all three of these schools started out as Bible colleges. There was a time when it was required of every student that they would take the Bible as a required course. In fact, beyond that, they were all required at one time to take Greek as a a language while they were at school at Harvard, Princeton, and Yale. Every student, when they committed to a contract with Harvard, Princeton, and Yale, had to sign on that contract that they would commit themselves to devotions Every single day they would spend time in the Word of God in the morning and they would spend time in prayer with God. Now, if you were to go onto those campuses today, what you would would find is, is that at one time they were at the top spiritually. They were looked at the greatest spiritual institutions of their day, but over time, come on, over time, there has been a drift. They have gone far from where they used to be until you will find that all three of them today have drifted from spiritual universities to very secular universities. And the question of spiritual drift is so important for us today. And listen to me, church, and listen to me those who those watching online. It is so important for us today because in the context of where we are in our country, in our society, in our World, it is so vital that we understand this and get a handle on this. And it is even more so when you think about our kids. Because what we typically see is our kids will rarely, rarely live at a higher level than what they see in mom and dad. It does happen. You do see children that rise up and, and they grew up in a home maybe that was not a spiritual home, maybe did not have godly mother or father, but they rise beyond that and they become great spiritual followers. That does happen, but the typical child does rare, just rarely rises higher spiritually at a level than what mom and dad are at. And the really important question we have to ask Especially as parents, is where will our children end up? So, today in Genesis chapter 11, which is our text for the day, is a story of two men, one named Abram, you would know him better as Abraham, and the other is his nephew, Lot. Abraham and his wife Sarah had no children at this point, and so Lot, their nephew, uh, he was just very special to them, and so we pick up in we pick up in Genesis, and I want to jump to I want to jump. We're going to be in several places, but I want to jump to um, Genesis chapter thirteen, and I want us to look at these verses as we begin because it says there. So Abram went up from Egypt to Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot his nephew went along too. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and silver and gold. He had accumulated a lot of stuff. And from Negev he went, Abram went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, his nephew, who was moving about with him, traveling with him, also had flocks and herds and tents, not to the extent of Uncle Abe, but he had a lot. But the land could not support them. For while they stayed together, their possessions were so great, they were not able to stay together. So the two of them combined, they just had so much that it was like, if we just stay together, the land's not gonna be able to support us. So they had this issue. And it says, among the followers of Lot, among his family and among Abram's family, quarreling arose between their Herders and the battle brought Abram and Lot to this place of decision, and that we find them in center stage, and they're about to respond to the crisis that they are in. And what I want us to see is their choices that they will make on that day will forever shape their lives and the lives of their family. And if you read the passage, it says in there that Lot looked out across because Abram said, hey, you just pick, you know, nephew, you just pick whatever you want. And it says that Lot looked out and he saw the plain and he saw how beautiful and how lush and how attractive it was. And so he made this choice and he said, I'll choose the beautiful. I'll choose the attractive. I'll choose that which seems to give so much of life. And Abram and Lot will teach us a lesson today on the spiritual drift or, or on being faithful to God. And so let me give you three observations today from our story. The first one is this. You better be careful because our choices matter more than we think they do. Every choice you make in your life is not an insignificant choice. Each choice has more uh, consequences attached than we think we do. When you make a decision to step in a direction, you need to ask yourself, where will this end up? Where will this choice take me down the road? And so we look in the story and Lot, Lot saw the beauty and he saw the attractiveness and the comfort of the land. And what we will find is, though he did not go there directly, he took a step toward a town called Sodom. And it is possible to make decisions in life that will produce for you a better this or a better that, a more comfortable this or more advantageous that. It looks better, but you have to be careful for every one of our choices matters more than you think it does. So... Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between me or your herders, for we are close relatives. We love each other. Is not the whole land before you. Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. So he's letting Lot make a choice. I think in part he's... As the spiritually mature one, he's trying to test Lot a little bit, You know, give him an opportunity to make a choice and he puts it in his hands. And then it says Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zoar was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. It just looked so attractive to him. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan, and he set out toward the east, and the two men parted company. Abram lived in Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. And now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly, greatly against the Lord. And so we pick up this story and um, what we see is Lot just kind of made a choice, but his choice didn't take him to a destination, but it pointed him in a direction. He just took one step. If you'd asked him, Lot, are you, are you moving to Sodom? Now, Sodom was a very vile, evil, um, horrible city. And, and Lot would say, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not, I'm not gonna live in Sodom. I'm just gonna live near Sodom. I'm not gonna go there. I'm not gonna live there. I just wanna enjoy some of the benefits of it because it's a big city and I wanna enjoy some of the stuff it has to offer, but I'm not gonna live there. Except three chapters later, two angels come to visit him and guess where they find Lot sitting? Sitting at the gates of the city. Why is he sitting at the gates of the city? Because in those days, it would appear, it would show if you're sitting at the gates of the city that you had become a leader in the city and the leaders would sit there and people could come to them and ask them questions or get advice. He's sitting at the gates. The citizens of Sodom knew him. They had known him enough. He'd been there enough. They had now made him a leader in Sodom. In fact, in 2 Peter 2, 7, we read that Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawlessness of that city. He was just, he was like just disgusted by it. But he has now drifted from living away from the city to moving into the city of Sodom, into an atmosphere of immorality, into the depravity. Did did he become one of them? No, but he moved his family in a direction and soon surrounded his family by it. And when the angels in the story come to talk to Lot, in verse 19, two, it says, please, he says to these angels, please, come on, turn aside to your servant's home. In other words, hey, come on over to my house tonight. And you're like, wait a minute. When did you buy a house, Lot? Thought you were gonna live outside of the city and just partake of some of the luxuries that when did you buy a house? Oh, well, I was, I was doing a lot of business there and I just found myself going there more and more often. It just seemed a lot easier if I just went ahead and bought a house there. That way I could stay there more and, and uh, you know it was just a lot easier. And here's the deal. The lot had a good heart, good intentions, What we find in the story is his decisions pointed him in a direction that he never wanted to go and never intended to end up. The Bible says there is a way that seems right to man. Come on, amen? There is a way, this just seems right, it seems good. But in the end, it leads to destruction because when you take a step in a direction and then you try to justify it, The tent just keeps drifting and drifting and drifting until we get further and further in a direction. And one day it just does seem silly not to join in because joining wasn't nearly as far now as it used to be. How many believers ultimately were in Sodom? None, right? Remember the story pleaded with God, don't destroy the city. God says, well, if you find 100, if you find 50, and then it came down to one, you just find one believer. And it says, God could not find one righteous person in all of Sodom. Man, I don't know how long, it doesn't tell us in the context of the story how long Lot lived in Sodom, but often we think I could have a great testimony um, a, a Christian testimony to people in this world, if I just hung around them, if I just did all this stuff, and, and they would learn to respect me. And here's what the story teaches us they respected Lot because they made him a leader, but they did not want his God. And what determines my witness for Christ depends on whether or not people want the Jesus that I display. And every choice that you make and every choice that I make, it matters more than you think it does. Observation number two, be careful because people are watching us more than we think they are watching us. (laughs) Your kids are watching your life more than you think they're watching your life. Every little decision you make, they're watching your life. Your life is filled with people that are watching you closely. Your kids are watching to see if mom and dad just give lip service to spiritual thing or if it is the real thing. And let me just tell you something about your kids. Your kids are smart enough to know the difference. They're watching. Your Facebook friends are watching. Oh, how they are watching, right? It's chapter 19, it says, It says there that, uh, spend the night, he says, and then go your way early in the morning, talking to the angels. No, 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 they said, we will spend the night in the square. Oh, but he insisted so strongly that they did go with him and they enter into his house. Lot's thinking as the angels are coming to his house, come on, stay with me. He's thinking, oh, if Uncle Abe could see me now. Angels, angels coming to my house. Um, If only he could see that it's not that bad living in Sodom. It's not that big of a deal. I'm dining with the angels. It, It seems like I've got God's blessings on my life. And Lot's become so proud that he doesn't even know that the night before there were three angels that met with Abraham and scripture tells us and one of those was the Lord himself and they were meeting over the awful sin and corruption and disgust of Sodom. And here is one of life's great deceptions. Come on, listen to this. This is for somebody. This is what you need today. We often convince ourselves all is well with God because we see material blessings in our lives. Look how God's blessed me. I must be pleasing him. Look at all the things he's given me. Look, I must be doing well. But what we fail to see sometimes is spiritual blessings in our lives, spiritual blessings on our kids, spiritual blessings on our family. Lot doesn't know the blessings he might've had if he had been faithful. Lot doesn't understand the blessings he might've had if he'd have been a fully committed man to God. Spiritual blessings. See, a fully devoted follower of God understands and they want this, and here it is, a partial commitment to God will never reveal the full blessings that God has in store for us. never. A fully devoted follower doesn't just seek material blessings. A fully devoted follower doesn't care. I mean, those are nice and those are good, and I'm not taking away from that. But what they really want is the spiritual blessings of God on their life. That may be the deep satisfaction in your soul with life. That, That may be the spiritual blessings you see in your kids. It may be the spiritual blessings you see in your grandkids. People are watching more than you think they are. Let's do the third one. Be careful because more is at stake with our lives than we realize. It appears Lot is the only one affected by his choices. Come on, get ready to say amen here. But how many of you know our choices always affect more than just ourselves, right? I mean, it affects so many people around us, our choices. And so we have to realize there is more at stake in our life with every choice that we make. In in the story, some of the sexual cesspool shows up and they want Lot to send out these two guests, these angels, send them on out because we wanna have sex with them. This is what the story said. But watch this, Lot has lived in Sodom so long, he has become so corrupt that Lot has drifted so far, he offers to send out his two daughters instead. The sin of Sodom had drifted so far. These men didn't want the women, they they wanted the men. And, and, And if you read the passage, it's like God has had enough. He's had the meeting the night before with Abraham and he's just had enough and the angels will tell Lot, get your family, get them out of the city, leave town. God has had enough of it. God is gonna bring destruction. But his grown kids have been so, so influenced by Sodom, that scripture shows us, they just laugh at him. Like, you are just a, come on, any parents had your kids laugh at you before? Uh, just like they look at you like, you are so foolish, you know, you're so stupid. They just laugh at him. How long did Lot live in Sodom? Long enough that he didn't win anybody in the city for God, and long enough that he lost his whole family. See, more is at stake in the decisions and choices of our lives every day than we ever realize there is. Even Lot's wife drifted so far that she turned back and scripture says she was destroyed. Spiritual drift. There really is more at stake than we think. And the one thing that we need to remember is it really does matter who we bring along with us, your children, your spouse, your friends, People that you work with, it really does matter who we bring with us and what can happen and what Lot teaches us is that we can drift so far that we lose focus on the one thing God has called us to be, a godly influence, devoted, fully followers of Christ that would bring people to him. One of the greatest speakers in the church of the Nazarene, I think that has ever lived was a man named Elmer Schmelzenbaugh. If you have been around the Church of the Nazarene at all, that name tells you something. It tells you that uh, he was a great missionary to Africa. He's in heaven now, but I wanna share his greatest story. He started the work of the Church of the Nazarene in in Africa, it took him over, I think it was two and a half years before one convert ever came to Christ. His life was threatened. People tried to kill him. Two and a half years before he saw any progress, but he started the work of the Church of the Nazarene in Africa, which today is exploding with growth. And the reason the Church of the Nazarene is growing is not because of what's happening in America, it is because of what's happening on the coast of Africa. Thousands of people saved every day. Well, I wanna tell you his greatest story. It was about a guy by the name of Old Joseph. It is the death of the first convert in Africa. Old Joseph was beaten over and over again by his, his brothers for turning to Christianity. Eventually, he would become our first black district superintendent in Swaziland. He was an outstanding leader. He pioneered, along with Smelsenbaugh, the work of the Church of the Nazarene in Africa. But now, he is a very old man. He's laid dying in a small village in Africa. The drums of the natives were pounding as they would go from one village to another, they would announce to all that old Joseph was dying. People came until they filled every hillside surrounding his hut. Thousands would sit on the hillside as he was passing, just praying and mourning for him. Elmer's son, Harman Schmelzenbach came and Sat next to old Joseph. Old Joseph had helped raise him as a kid in this missionary home as his dad pioneered the work with old Joseph. Elmer took the hand of his old friend who was in and out of consciousness, and whatever he'd come to, he would he would look with his eyes open and he would say these words on his deathbed: Oh, it's a hard test. Oh, it's a hard test. And then he'd go out of consciousness. Over and over for a long period of time, every day he would wake up and say, oh, it's a hard test. On the day before Joseph died, as often happens, he got a surge of energy. He awakened and he seemed to be better. And he was conscious. He had thought. People thought it was a miracle that he could Sit up and talk to them and Elmer Schmelzenbaugh holding his hand during this moment said, Joseph, while you have been sick, sometimes you would just wake up and you would just say, Oh, it's a hard test. Joseph, Joseph, do you remember what that was all about? Oh missionary, I remember it. Oh, what was it wasn't Joseph. Missionary, I saw Joseph die and I appeared before Jesus and Jesus said to me, Joseph, how many souls you bringing with you? And missionary, that's a hard test for sure. So very hard. That night, Joseph went to be in the arms of Jesus and the drums carried that news across Swaziland and filled the countryside and those villages. Thousands came for the funeral. They just filled the hillside down, looking down on that little village where they held the funeral. They say much weeping could be heard all through Africa. For old Joseph, the end of the message, smells and Ba told the story of Joseph, saying Joseph saw himself before God telling all the people and Jesus asked him, Joseph, how many souls are you bringing with you? And old Joseph said, "Oh missionary, it's a hard test. And at that moment in the funeral, over here, a black Swazi leader stood up on that hillside and he yelled out, missionary, tell Jesus Joseph brought me. Another man stood up back here and said, tell Jesus he brought me too. And one by one, they begin to pop up and it was like a great choir with men jumping up. Missionary, tell Jesus Joseph brought me. Women joined in, jumping up with a child in one arm, waving a hanky in another, saying, Joseph brought me too. Until by hundreds and thousands, the funeral was just standing on its feet, shouting out at the top of their lungs, Jesus, Joseph brought me This man beaten by his own family, but he made a decision as a young man that he was going to live his life for something more than bricks and stones and material possessions. And that question haunts my own soul today. Tim, how many souls you bringing with you? for we only have one life to live. (laughs) Come on, somebody say amen to this, and it goes by so quickly. What you build with will determine the quality and the meaning of your life. And what I want in this season of my life is I want more than anything, that, that question to haunt me every day. How many souls are you bringing with you? And this question should haunt all of us. Because when you stand before him one day, we all wanna hear these words, right? Well done, good and faithful servant. What is the well done for? For my mission, for my purpose in your life? How many souls are you bringing with you? How many souls are you influencing for the kingdom? How many people are you pointing to the God who saved your soul, how many souls will you bring with you as you stand before him? That's the question for us today. Now, if it weren't for COVID-19, I would close this a little differently today. There are some of you that ought to be down at a place of prayer and you ought to be pleading that God would lay upon you some soul that you can have influence on that you can bring and stand in his presence with today, one day. Well, we can't do that. But as we take communion today, I would ask you just to go ahead and get your cup out. I'll explain this in just a second. Those of you online, you may wanna grab... uh, crackers or the bread, maybe some uh, juice or whatever you have. It's a symbol, it'll be all right. And this morning, as we prepare to take this holy sacrament, I want you to keep this question in mind. Lord, who is one person you would lay on my heart to be a godly influence on? Who is one person that you can use me to bring them into a relationship with you? Who is one? We're not responsible for their decision, but we are responsible to share. We are responsible to pray for. We are responsible to influence. Who's the one? Because it always begins with one. And as we receive these holy elements, would you just, take a moment and bow your head. Whether you're at home or whether you're here in this place, just bow your head for a moment and just say, God, lay a soul upon my heart and you love that soul through my life. God, if you will open a door, if you will give me an opportunity I will do my best to win them for thee. Oh, it's a hard test. How many souls are you bringing with you? May we as his people be faithful, even in fear. May we as his people be faithful, even in a world full of sin. May we as his people be faithful to what he has called us to. Now, those of you that have the little communion cup, there is a little plastic part on the top. Don't pull the big piece, but if you just kind of flick your finger, there's a small plastic part. If you just tear that back, it'll reveal the wafer there and you could take that out. Scripture tells us that on the night that our Lord was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. As oft as ye shall eat this, do so in remembrance of me. Would you go ahead and receive that and give thanks? Likewise, after supper, he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, saying, This is my blood which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins, as oft as ye shall drink this, drink this and give thanks. If you'd peel back that second tab gently, and then would you drink and give thanks? Father, your spirit was in this place today. It's not necessarily a feel-good message as much as it is a convicting message for all of us that call you our Lord to remind us why we're here. Because I can drift into a land of comfort and I can come to church and I can just enjoy what's happening and then I can leave these doors and nothing change and God I don't want that as they led us in that song earlier God we want to (laughs) be we want to be a light about bringing people to Christ we want our lives to be about that bring a great revival Lord and a revival will come if it starts in me so check my attitude right now, God. Check my heart. More people are turned off to Christianity by what they hear come out of us that is ungodly. Take the Sodom out of us today, God, through your, the blood of your precious son that died for us to forgive us of all of that stuff. Sanctify us by your Holy Spirit, that our words would be pure and that our thoughts would be pure and that our motives would be pure and that we would look at each other not with judgmental attitudes or tones or words. We would just look at each other with pure love we would believe the best in people. And God, give us eyes for those around us. May we see people that are broken and bruised and hurt by life. Like the scripture says, like a lamb before its shearer doesn't even know what's about to happen. Help us, oh God, help us. And so now, Father, we're just gonna, gonna sing to you. The words and the melody is not that important. It's my heart. It's my heart of worship. So may you look down right now in this moment. And may you see my heart open with thanks and praise for all that you have done for me. Oh, it's a hard test. (laughs) But one day, God, we can stand in your presence and we can be your faithful follower and we can see people whose lives were affected because of our life. And for that, we will give you thanks and praise forever and ever in Christ's name, amen. Would you stand with us as we sing this morning?